Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Well, on this Sunday after Easter, on the sermon for today, on this week of a church business meeting, I want to take the opportunity to revisit, to reiterate, and to reinforce what church is all about. It's kind of a good time to hit the reset button, perhaps, and to do what I might call a state-of-the-church sermon. And we'll do so by studying a familiar passage. It's one I come back to time and time again because I think it is so very important. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So if you have your Bibles with you, I trust that you do. Would you please turn with me there? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which I believe gives to us the blueprint for the church. The blueprint for the church. Now, what's a blueprint? What's a blueprint? A a blueprint is an early plan or design. An early plan or design that explains how something might be achieved. And so, the purpose of a blueprint is to show what something should be like. What something should be like. And to give directions on how to build it. And so, where today's message is going to be doubly valuable is that Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, is not only the blueprint for how we are to have a successful church, but it is also the blueprint for a successful life. Successful church and successful life, the very same elements. And as it relates to our current sermon series on the abundance or fullness of life, we might even say that it is the blueprint for a full life. Or abundant life. So on this week after Easter, if you're looking yourself to hit the spiritual reset button and to make a fresh start, this is the place to do it. Uh, the blueprint will give you the necessary elements of how to live abundantly. And so would you please stand with me as we read this passage, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I thank you so much for this passage. It's, again, one that is very important to me, one that I come back to time and time again to be reminded of the basics, to be reminded of what matters most, to be reminded that in the midst of all the options and possibilities in this life, these are the essentials. And so, God, while there may not be a lot of brand new information in this passage for us today, remind us of those old truths that make such a big difference and are so important to us living the kind of lives that you would have us to live. So God, anoint my lips, my tongue as I preach. I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit speaking through me. And God, would you give us all the ability to to listen and to apply. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
So once again, the purpose of a blueprint is to show what something should be like. And so it is with our text today, Acts 2, 42 through 47. It gives us the key elements of the blueprint for the church and for life, showing us what we could be and also what we should be. And the first element of that blueprint is the word. It is the word. Look at verse 42 where it says, And they devoted themselves, say that word devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I don't believe it's in any way an accident that the Word of God is the first element listed in the blueprint. No accident at all, because it really is the starting point for us to become all that we could and should be. Scripture plays at least three critical, essential roles in our lives. First of all, it is our spiritual foundation. The Word of God, the Scriptures, they are our spiritual foundation. And Jesus said so in the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. And I love this picture that we're going to put up there. It kind of captures that whole parable in a nutshell. It was the wise builder, Jesus said, who built his life on obedience to the foundation of God's Word. So that when the storms of life came, and they do come, don't they? I've heard it said you're either in a storm or a storm is on the way. It's just the reality of the world in which we live. It's how life is. It'll be that way until Jesus returns. When the storms of life come, and in the parable, when they came and beat upon that house, it did not fall because it had been founded on the solid rock of God's Word. But in contrast, there was a foolish builder who did not build his life on the solid rock of God's Word, but instead on shifting sand. And isn't that our culture today? shifting sand. You just can never quite get a handle on it. It's constantly changing, constantly one day, this is right, this is wrong, then this is wrong, and then this is right. When the storms of life came and built on the house, beat on the house of the man who built on shifting sand, it fell because it was not built on the rock. And friends, you don't have to look far, do you, to find all kinds of people and all kinds of churches who have come crashing down due to the storms of life because they're not built on the rock. Next, God's Word functions in each of our lives as a spiritual weapon. A spiritual weapon. It is called, in Ephesians 6.17, it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Which it tells us in Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You need this sword. You need this sword, especially when the attacks of our spiritual enemy come against us, and they will. Without this sword, you are unarmed. You are vulnerable to defeat. But here's the thing. Just owning a sword isn't good enough, is it? Lots of people own the Word of God. They have multiple copies of the Word of God. Just owning it isn't enough. You have to know how to use it and be ready to do so. Even at a moment's notice. For the attacks, they come quickly. Sometimes the attacks come out of nowhere when we're least expecting it. What are you going to do when the attack comes? That's why Scripture memory, Scripture memory is not just for Awana kids. It's for all of us. 
That's how we appropriate the sword, and we have it ready at a moment's notice. It is an absolutely essential element for a victorious disciple of Jesus Christ. So the first key element of the blueprint is, is the Word. It is our spiritual foundation. It is our spiritual weapon necessary for victory, but it is also our spiritual food. You can't get much more foundational than that, can you? Jesus said so in Matthew 4.4. 4. He answered, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And there's an interesting crossover here with God's word as a weapon and God's word as sustenance, right? For the context here was Jesus being spiritually attacked by Satan, a very important story that gives us a model of how to overcome those attacks of the enemy because what does Jesus do when attacked? He pulls out that double-edged sword, the Word of God, and He goes to battle saying, it is written, it is written. And what is written is that we need God's Word spiritually like we need food physically. We need God's Word spiritually like we need food physically. And without God's Word, we will be spiritually malnourished and sick. We will never approach what we could be and should be in Christ. So it's no wonder that in this blueprint for the church and for life, the Word of God is listed as the very first element of the blueprint. And so without it, we build on a shifting foundation that's sure to get blown over with the storms of life. Without it, we're sure to be defeated by the enemy in spiritual battle. And without it, we are malnourished. And my fear is that that describes so many professing believers today. They're being destroyed by the storms. They're being defeated by the enemy. And they are weak due to malnourishment. For it is the Word of God, our spiritual foundation, our spiritual weapon, and our spiritual food. And that's why we give it so much priority here at First Baptist Church. And why it must be given so much priority in your individual lives throughout the week. What would happen if you just ate one meal on a Sunday, physically, if you just ate one meal on Sunday and didn't eat again until the next Sunday? Or if you didn't have the weapon with you, you had it on Sunday, but then you didn't have it the rest of the week, you get the idea. Second element of the blueprint for the church and for life is sharing. Sharing. Look again at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The fellowship. The principle here is captured by that Greek word koinonia. Koinonia, which means deep, meaningful sharing not the kind of surface kind of stuff about hey how's the weather today or hey miguel cabrera got his 3000 hit yesterday not that stuff but the deep stuff of life the kind of sharing enjoyed and modeled by the three persons of the trinity one god in three persons Father, Son, Holy Spirit living eternally in a state of koinonia together, of continual and intimate sharing and harmony and fellowship. And guess what, church? We all were created in the image of the God of koinonia, which means that we were all literally made for deep, meaningful sharing. It's in our DNA. It's how we are wired, which is why God said of Adam before Eve was created, he says, it's not good for man to be alone because he is made in my image. He is made for koinonia, and there is not a helper here suitable for that kind of koinonia. 
We are made for it. And specifically, we are made to share together in three specific ways. First, we are made to share in Christ. We are made to share in Christ. As it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This is talking about the context of the Lord's Supper, of communion, when we sit down together and we share in Christ in that act, what it represents. Do you know what that Greek word for participation there is? Guess. It's koinonia. It's koinonia. When we turn from our sins and turn to Jesus alone for forgiveness, receiving Him as both Savior and Lord, we become fellow sharers in Christ, just as they did in Acts 2. Look again at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. To the breaking of bread. Now, is this referring to sharing a meal together or sharing communion together? It's both. Right? We've talked about this before. For the situation was this, that part of doing life together, part of koinonia was spending time together in each other's homes. So naturally, they would eat meals together. And as those who share in Christ together, part of what they would do in their meals is to share the Lord's Supper together. Is that allowed? Is that allowed? Or can you, do we only have to celebrate, get to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the context of a church worship service? I believe the early church shows us right from the get-go that it is appropriate and good and even encouraged for brothers and sisters to come together, even in their homes, and to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper together. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing to invite your Christian brothers and sisters over and say, hey, let's have a meal together, but let's have the Lord's Supper together too. Let's bond in who we are in Christ. I challenge some of you to do that, all right? You're not doing anything wrong. You're simply following the, the example we're given here in the early church. This in, in turn enables us to participate in the second kind of sharing. The first kind of sharing is in Christ. The second kind of sharing is in Christ's people. It's sharing in Christ's people. 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Now, this is one of the things I love about the church, all right? And I don't know if you um, realize this or appreciate it enough, but you can take two people in the church who are brothers and sisters who have nothing earthly in common. They can be an Ohio State fan and a Michigan fan. They have nothing earthly in common, but they can share together they can experience koinonia together hour after hour after hour. Why? Because they have Jesus in common. They have Jesus in common. The most important thing of all, He is the one that makes koinonia possible even among complete strangers. For you see, in Jesus, if we have that in common, we have a shared testimony. We have a shared mission. We have a shared future. And oh yeah, we have a shared foundation which is the Word of God, and therefore an inexhaustible amount of content to discuss together and to share in. You talk about koinonia, sharing together in Christ's people. And so here's a statement that might be rather controversial, but I, I believe it to be true. Koinonia, biblical, deep, meaningful sharing, is only possible among people who are walking with Christ. 
Now, why would I say this? Well, back to 1 John 1, 7, where it says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, right? It's conditional. If we walk in the light, then we are able to have fellowship, koinonia, with one another, which tells me that koinonia is only really possible to the degree that it is intended by the Bible between people who are walking with Jesus. Now, you might get a hint of it with you know, someone who doesn't know Jesus, but you're always going to have some barrier. You're always going to have some, some gap, something that's missing in that relationship that prevents you from experiencing true koinonia because you don't share the most important thing in common. Now, the implications for this for marriage are staggering, are they not? God's blueprint for marriage is that we be yoked together with other believers. This is why. Because in marriage, of all places, we are meant to experience koinonia. And so, young person, I don't care how handsome they are. I don't care how beautiful you think they are how much they make you laugh, how good they make you feel. Don't settle. Don't compromise. Don't go against God's blueprint, God's design, and marry someone who is not a believer because there will always be a gap. There will always be something missing. There will be consequences for that disobedience to God's clear command. What fellowship can light have with darkness? That's not popular today, is it? That seems pretty narrow and countercultural, so be it. Now, there's a very hopeful missional aspect to Koinonia. Here it is the unique positioning of the church for Koinonia makes it the hope of the world. Why? Because the world needs deep community. The unique positioning of the church for koinonia makes it the hope of the world when it comes to fulfilling humanity's deep need for community. And the world desperately needs this kind of sharing more than ever. Why? Well, just look at our situation today. I think it could be summed up like this. We are rich in connectivity, but we are poor in community. We are rich in connectivity, but we are poor in community. We've never been more connected. Sometimes I would love to pastor in the days before answering machines. Forget cell phones. Let's go back to answering machines. When phone rings and you're not there, you're not there. <laughs> you know? Now I got texts, you know. And again, not to discourage you from, from reaching out or texting me, but it's just a different day. It's just a different day. We are rich in connectivity, but we are poor in community. Social media apps of all kinds, text calls, people bombarding us throughout the day. Um, but while we are more connected than ever, somehow we are more isolated than ever. And the pandemic didn't help. And our kids, ask Pastor David, they are paying a terrible, terrible price for this. Ask our teachers. Ask people in schools. Our kids are paying a terrible price for this connectivity that doesn't include community. They're isolated and they are hurting. We need desperately to recapture what the Bible teaches about truly sharing our lives with each other. I fear that we're kind of even, like, we don't even know how. We don't even know how. We're so into this, we don't know how to do this. One practical way that the Acts 2 church practiced koinonia together was in the sharing 
of material resources. And this is, this is pretty radical. Look at verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, two questions come to my mind as I read that. The first question is this. Is this teaching communism? Because some people would point to that and say, hey, that's communism. Maybe the Bible really wants us to be communistic, and I would say not at all. Because communism is a mandate of the state, and it's done out of obligation. That's not at all what's going on here. This is purely voluntary and motivated by what? Love. That's very different. That's very different. Now, a second question might be, is this teaching communal living? Should we all go out in the country somewhere, buy a bunch of property, a bunch of acreage, and start a FBC commune? And to that I would say no. Why? Because the Bible teaches that it is the family and not the commune that is the basic social unit in God's design. So what, what is this teaching us? What these verses do teach is that we are to be outrageously generous in sharing with our brothers and sisters, especially those who are in need. We are to be outrageously generous in sharing with our brothers and sisters, especially those who are in need. The way that they shared in this Acts 2 church, where they were confronted with some interesting challenges and situations. Think about this. So this is right after Pentecost, um, where there were Jewish pilgrims that had gone to Jerusalem for that festival. They were converted because of what happened there. And then they chose to stay in Jerusalem to be trained by the apostles. It's like, hey, we had this awesome encounter with Jesus, but now we don't know what to do what's next. We're staying here. We need to be discipled. We need to be grown in our faith. So they stayed in Jerusalem where they had no food, no shelter, no income. How are they going to live? This outrageous generosity of the church supported them. There were also new converts who lost their jobs due to their faith in Jesus Christ. And so what about them? How are they supported? Outrageous generosity amongst the brothers and system. And then there were just believers who were poor for a variety of other reasons. How did they survive? Outrageous generosity as the, as the church shared not only in Christ, but in Christ's people. But at the end of the day, the mark of this church was outrageous generosity and sharing with each other. Spurgeon said this, he said, communion is strength. Solitude is weakness. Alone, the free old beech tree yields to the blast and lies prone on the meadow. In the forest, supporting each other, the trees laugh at the hurricane. The sheep of Jesus flock together. The social element is the genius of Christianity. We need to grow in that. We need to grow in that. So biblical community involves sharing in Christ, sharing in Christ's people, but also sharing in Christ's work. We catch a glimpse of this in 2 Timothy 2.1. When the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in you, that is in Christ Jesus. There was obviously this close bond between the Apostle Paul and Timothy, his protege, to the point that Paul would call Timothy, my child. 
Now, why did they have this close bond? I think in part because they had been through so much together as they shared in Christ's work. They, they served the Lord together. They struggled together. They faced persecution together. They won victories together. They were soldiers of the kingdom of God together. And so Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And one thing that is true of soldiers, as I've observed and as I've been told, soldiers who serve together and suffer together, they develop a very special bond, do they not? Some of you have experienced this firsthand. It's that bond that brings soldiers back together for reunions year after year, decades after they serve together. Where does that kind of bond come from? Well, they serve together. They depended upon each other. They protected each other. They faced the enemy together, and they suffered together. The blood, sweat, and tears that they shed together form bonds for life. And in the same way, there is a special bond that forms among Christ's people when they share together in Christ's work, when they do battle together in the name of Christ against the enemy. And yes, at times it involves suffering together, but that suffering itself is even a gift because it brings that kind of bond together, but also celebrating together. As we did yesterday at the Awana Grand Prix, what an awesome event that was. Even though my Ohio State-themed car got honorable mention last place, and it was very humiliating. Whether in the highs or the lows, there is a special koinonia that takes place when we share together in Christ's work. And if you're looking to take some next steps when it comes to sharing together and developing koinonia, one of the quick and easy ways to do that is to get involved in a ministry. Sign up and get involved in a ministry because you will form a bond with those with whom you serve that is unique and special as you share in Christ, in Christ's people, and in Christ's work. And so in the blueprint of the church, the first element is the word, the second element is sharing, and the third is prayer. Look once again at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now that's interesting. The prayers. Why is there a definite article used there? Well, the prayers refers to designated times of prayer in the Jewish temple. Remember, these early believers were largely Jewish in background, and they continued to go to the temple and practice the rites associated with the temple, and this included designated times of prayer throughout the day. Clearly, one of the great things that came into Christianity from Judaism was the priority of prayer, so much so that they scheduled it. This is too important. We can't just leave it haphazard and throw up a prayer here and throw up a prayer there. This is too important. We must schedule it. We must put it on the calendar. Why did they give it such priority? Commentator William Barclay, he said this, These early Christians knew that they could not meet life in their own strength and that they did not need to. They always went into God before they went out to the world. They were able to meet the problems of life because they had first met Him. Isn't that beautiful? You know, we began our series, which may go on till Jesus comes back, on the full or abundant life. We began in John 15 and the importance of branches abiding in Jesus the vine. 
John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. One of the essential ways that we abide in Jesus, the vine, is through prayer. As we connect with him, we have all the resources of heaven at our disposal to equip us, to encourage us, to empower us. It was Hudson Taylor who said, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. And Lord, forgive me for the vast number of times that I've worked instead of praying and allowing God to work. For the Acts 2 church to be all that it could be and should be, they needed God to work. And so they prioritized prayer. It was true then, and it's certainly true today. And that's why prayer is one of the three key elements of the blueprint of the church, which includes the word, sharing, and prayer. Now, here's some exciting stuff. You ready for this? One of the exciting principles in this passage is how we see the results of the blueprint put into action. We see the results of the blueprint put into action and the spiritual principle that we always reap what we sow. We always reap what we sow. You sow bad seed, you're going to have a bad harvest. You sow good seed, you're going to have a good harvest. Well, as the first church sowed the elements of the word, sharing, and prayer, this is what they reaped. First of all, they reaped a harvest of power. They reaped a harvest of power. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This was, I believe, very much in response to their prayer. It was also in fulfillment of what Jesus told his disciples back in Acts 1.8 when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And sure enough, as they sowed following the blueprint of the church, sowing the word, sharing, and prayer, they indeed did reap a harvest of power. A harvest which I believe with all my heart is available and possible for us today. Next, they reaped a harvest of joy. They reaped a harvest of joy. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with grumpy, sad-faced hearts, right? With glad and generous hearts. Coin and Neil do that. When God's people are not selfish, when they're not stingy, when they're not looking out for themselves, when they don't demand on having their own way, it creates an atmosphere, an environment, a culture of joy. And that's the way it's supposed to be in Christ's church. And so it will be when we follow the blueprint of the word, sharing, and prayer. And next, they reaped a harvest of souls. A harvest of souls. Look at verse 47. It says, Praising God and having the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Baptisms every single Sunday. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, why did this happen? Is it because they're just such gifted evangelists? I don't believe so. I believe it's simply because they followed the blueprint. 
They didn't follow the latest trends or strive to be culturally relevant. They didn't try to be the cool church. They didn't go to a conference on church growth and become, bring home with them the latest fad and try to put that strategy into effect. No, they just followed the blueprint. Again, there's nothing new here. It's old truth. But old truth, which we have to return to time and time again because it's so easily forgotten and we so easily go astray. And because they followed the blueprint, the first church reaped a harvest of power, a harvest of joy, and a harvest of souls. Anybody want to be a part of that church? Yeah? Well, let's close things out this morning with some discussion of application. I'm going to ask you one question, then with three possible points of action, three opportunities, okay? So the one question that I want to ask you is this. Are you dabbling or devoted? Are you dabbling or devoted? Now, this comes from verse 42 where it said, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. To be devoted to something is to to be given over to it, to be consumed by it. When you're devoted to something, it dominates your thoughts, your words, your actions. It is a, a first priority. That's what it means to be devoted to something. On the other hand, when you dabble in something, you take part in a casual or superficial way, when it fits your schedule, when it's convenient. And my fear is that when it comes to these three elements of the word, of sharing, and of prayer, we're a bunch of dabblers. We're a bunch of dabblers. When it fits, when it's convenient, when it's comfortable. And so then it's no, no wonder that we don't experience the harvest that we just read about. You reap what you sow. Jesus and his church, for many, are a piece of the pie in our lives, but just a piece, and maybe not even the biggest piece. But for that Acts 2 church, Jesus and his church, that was the whole pie. That was it. They were continually devoting themselves to the Word, to sharing, and to prayer. This blueprint is not made for dabbling. If you dabble, it will not work. It is too important. It is made for devotion. So, are you dabbling or are you devoted? Now, to help you this morning, maybe take some next steps toward devotion. And these are not exhaustive. These are not the only steps that you need to take. But here are some that you might take. Some steps toward devotion. Number one, You'll hear me talk about this until you're tired of it. You may be already tired of it. Too bad. Um, Join a discipleship group. Join a discipleship group, which I believe will help you take some steps of devotion toward the Word. Discipleship is defined as intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. This is a place where you can actually sow these elements of the blueprint. D groups, discipleship groups engage in five weekly disciplines. They include accountability, Bible reading, hear journals, prayer, and scriptured memory. Now, that, again, that corresponds to a lot of the things that we just talked about. Anybody think that, you know, I would not benefit from that? That just would not really help me to become a more fully formed disciple of Jesus Christ. Of course not, because these are the elements of the blueprint. And the desired outcome of these disciplines is what we call the marks of a disciple, those who are missional, accountable, 
reproducible, communal, and scriptural. This is very much reaping what we sow. If you are here this morning and you're sensing the need, the nudge of the Holy Spirit to take a step toward devotion in this particular area, if you're interested in learning more about what a D group is all about, please contact me. Please contact me. I would love to have that conversation with you. You can call the church office. You can call my cell phone, even though I just, I just complained about that. Um, <laughs> the next step toward devotion has to do with sharing. And one step toward devotion could very well be to sign up for a connect group. To sign up for a connect group. Connect groups, this is, it's so simple, it's beautiful. But starting next week, May 1st, for four Sundays, right after the worship service, we go over to the commons around round tables, and we connect with five or six people around the table, and we get to know each other a little bit, and we talk about application of the sermon. Now, the main thrust of this idea is for you to get to know some people. If you haven't noticed, we have two separate services going on at the same time. Do you know the people over there? People over there, do you know the people over here? Okay, We need to connect with each other. We have to fight hard in this church to be able to be united and to be one. Connect groups are a way that we can do that, a very, very simple way. 45 minutes. They go from 11.30 to 12.15. We provide you some snacks. There's um, ministry to kids during that time. There are connect groups also for teenagers. And so I would encourage you this very minute to take out your phone and to text CONNECT to the number that's on the screen, that number that we use for everything text-wise, 231-261-1112. Take your phone out, set, type connect to that number, and we will get you signed up for connect groups that start next week. It's important, okay? You don't know the people over there, largely. They don't know you. That's a problem. That's a problem. And so while you may feel comfortable with the people that you know in the church, um, again, are you dabbling or are you devoted? And this is a good place to take some steps of devotion. Last step toward devotion has to do with prayer. And if you want to take some steps toward devotion in that area, one invitation, one opportunity that I would give to you is summer prayer walking. Summer prayer walking, this is something I'm very passionate about right now. Um, I'm working on getting a very large map of the city of Cadillac. It is my hope that I can cover, if not all, many, many of the streets in our city prayer walking this summer. It just sounds so refreshing and so important during this time. But one way you can participate is to show up here. We'll start in June, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. We show up here, and we just kind of walk through this neighborhood, our Franklin neighborhood that we love. We love the kids. We love the school. We want to be a blessing. We need to pray over this neighborhood. We need to pray over this property. We need to pray over this facility. And in 30 minutes time, thereabouts, it'll be amazing the difference that we're able to make through prayer walking in this community, in this neighborhood, in this sanctuary, in this building. Um, so I invite you, starting in June, we'll get some more word out about that. Um, we'll even give you some guides. Like, I don't know what to do. I walk. What, what do I pray? We'll give you some guides that will help you to know exactly how to pray at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. So we examine the blueprint for the church, which includes the Word, which is our spiritual foundation, our spiritual weapon, our spiritual food, sharing in Christ, in Christ's people, in Christ's work. And lastly, in prayer, where we are confronted with the questions, will we dabble or will we be devoted? And what are we sowing? For that is what we will reap. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this church that has a deep hunger and passion for these elements of the blueprint. In many ways, I'm preaching to the choir here today. 
But God, I, I know there are additional steps that you would have us to take. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in the hearts of people here in the sanctuary, the hearts of people in the commons, the hearts of people at home. And whether it's these three points of application or invitation or some others, God, move us today. Move us toward deeper devotion and away from dabbling. May we not settle for the path of least resistance. We're so good at that. It's so easy, but God, take us to a place of devotion and may we not lose sight of these elements of the blueprint, both for the church, but also for our lives individually and personally. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.